welcome to Beer Me Radio. I am your host, Sarah Jane. For those of you who've been listening for the past couple of years, we've been recording live at the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan in Washington, D.C. Thanks to our friend, the pandemic, along with everybody else, we've had to make some adjustments. So as most of you have noticed, we've taken a little bit of a break over the past couple of months, and now we are recording virtually which allows me to speak to guests from all over the United States and around the world. So hopefully this will reflect as some more exciting shows for you all to listen to. Though that is changing, the main focus of the show will stay the same. Every week, I will have a guest on the show to discuss different parts of the beer world, from brewers, importers, educators. This will allow us to examine the dynamic world of beer through different lenses. Whether you're new to beer or a seasoned professional, we will have something for you. So for those of you who have been listening from day one, you will recall that Katie Marisek, who is the Federal Affairs Director for the Brewers Association, was my very first guest. And she has appeared on the show a handful of times, but as we are kicking off again after our little hiatus, I specifically wanted her to come back on the show to be the first guest back on. So like I said, she is the Federal Affairs Director for the Brewers Association, which is a non-for-profit trade association dedicated to small and independent American craft brewers. So Katie, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Now, was I one of the last people before the pandemic to be on the show too? I think we did something in early 2020. So you were the very first guest, and then you were also one of the very last guests. (laughs) And now you're the very first again. We're coming full circle. Well, I am glad to be able to do it, but (laughs) sounds like you're going to have some pretty awesome guests going forward in the future. So I will try and make sure that I'm just as good. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's always wonderful to have you on the show. So let's dive right into it here. I mentioned that, you know, here on Beer Me, we've had to bob and weave a little bit. I am sure the Brewers Association has had to make many adjustments and shift in a lot of ways for this pandemic and for your members. Can you take us through some some things that have had to change? I mean, absolutely. Obviously, I can talk best about my role and how that had to change. But I think as everyone is aware, one of the big things that happened because of the pandemic is no in-person events, no people going to breweries, lots of closures, an increase in packaging for the Brewers Association. That meant no Craft Brewers Conference, no Saver, no Great American Beer Fest. So those are those are really big things. No homebrew con. A lot of ways the association had to pivot and create a more online presence, but also make sure that we were really promoting our members as much as possible and helping them get through the pandemic. And pretty much from the moment we realized, well, actually a couple days before we realized that the entire world was going to be shutting down, I was spending a lot of Sundays making phone calls to legislators, reaching out to people. You know, I think Italy was one of the first places that kind Mm -hmm. of shut down restaurants, shut down bars. And I was talking to some of our different breweries, talking to Bart Watson, our economist, and trying to figure out what that scenario would be like in the U.S. And for breweries, uh, small and independent breweries, they make the majority of their revenue from those direct-to-consumer on-site sales. So like tap rooms and and tasting space and stuff like that. Yep, 
tap rooms, tasting rooms, brew mm-hmm. pubs. I think a lot of people can tend to think of the more regional size breweries that have stronger packaging, but that is not the business model for everyone. I mean, there are now 8,700 breweries in the U.S. Those oh small breweries in every congressional district and across the country, and those are centralized locations. And a lot of them aren't doing or weren't doing packaging. They were selling through draft directly at their tasting room. Maybe they were in local restaurants selling draft there. So we were talking about major revenue losses because the difference in revenue between uh, wholesale and direct-to-consumer is pretty large as well. So even Mm -hmm. if you lost 20% of your on-site business, it was going to create a really big revenue issue. We were not the only people who were dealing with this situation. And we had already formed a pretty strong coalition thanks to the Craft Beverage Modernization and Tax Reform Act. And we wanted to make sure that we were getting, you know, the beverage alcohol industry's voice out there as much as possible. So luckily Congress acted and Mm -hmm. they acted by, you know, creating entirely new programs, things that the government had never done before, but also that our members had never dealt with before. Maybe a lot of our members had worked with the SBA on getting business loans, but not all of them. So the Paycheck Protection Program was one of the first things to come along to, Mm -hmm. you know, provide money to businesses that were impacted by the pandemic. And we really had to be on top of that and make sure that our members understood what this process was, how you applied for the loans, who you could work with to apply for the loans. Luckily, I had a good financial services background before I started at the BA. So I was able to talk to my friends with the community bankers, with the credit unions, find out you know, what they thought potential issues could be with the program. And you know, we turned it around and put together as much information as we could for our members So were you working with people on kind of a case by case basis or was it more, you know, you created tools that brewers could access or owners could access to kind of walk them through this process? Created tools, uh, put together webinars. We still, I believe, have our COVID-19 resources page up on the website. Mm -hmm. And it's an issue that is ongoing. So the information keeps getting updated. But like everybody else, We didn't know how the program would work until it was already in existence and already working. So there were a lot of things we wanted to change to make it better for breweries, to make it better for small businesses. So that was just one of one of the many things that we were working on to, you know, help the industry and help our members. And it's great. I mean, it did work for a lot of people as a bridge to get them through the first month or so of the pandemic. I'm not going to say it was a perfect program, but Mm -hmm. it was definitely a very important program to a lot of our members and a lot of businesses that are out there. So we were very appreciative of that. And as you saw people kind of adjusting and shifting, were there certain, you know, was there a brewery that you were really impressed with kind of a creative solution they came up with? Oh, my gosh, I'm not going to remember the brewery that did this. But Mm -hmm. in Maryland, it was the brewery that came up with the website Beer Me. Yeah. Uh, What a cool name, right? Right. Amazing. Absolutely brilliant name. (laughs) Great name. They spell it different. (laughs) Spelled slightly differently. But the fact that they they created a way for people to order online Mm -hmm. and then shared it, you know, openly shared it with other breweries, I think was really great because that's what people had to do. They had to pivot. 
And what we saw was a major pivot to packaging right at a time when there is a canning shortage. So it all worked out perfectly. (laughs) Murphy's Law. Yeah. They realized how consumers wanted to get the product, the best way to get them beer. So a lot of state laws changed, allowing alcohol to go at restaurants, allowing delivery of alcohol. And those are things that we think are going to stick around for a while. Maybe not in every state, maybe not in every, every city, but consumers are changing the way they want to get and consume beverage alcohol products. And that demand is going to going to drive some change in laws. I feel like as things were being passed rapidly, especially for purchasing and consumption, these were some things that you all were pushing for anyways, Mm -hmm. correct? Yeah, absolutely. It's stuff that we think should have changed. And I think it's positive that it is. I think it showed that there are ways to change those laws and people will still behave responsibly. People will still follow the law. And my friends and, and me, I know I love it. I love being able to order food from a restaurant and get a six pack delivered or get a cocktail delivered. It's pretty cool. I don't know that we're going to end up with Vegas in Washington, D.C. anytime soon where you can just take your alcohol wherever you want. But (laughs) I think there have been some positive changes that are beneficial to both consumers and producers. Yeah, for sure. And as far as, you know, the D.C. market itself This is an interesting market, especially as it relates to liquor laws, because D.C., sadly, is still not a state. Have you seen some of those breweries, you know, that you're in contact with that benefited from some of these changes as well? I mean, I think all breweries benefited from being able to get their product to consumers. Access to market is going to be the number one most important thing to a brewery. They need to be able to get the product to consumers in a way that the consumers want it. So it definitely benefited a lot of people in the industry. But that benefit came with a caveat. We're in the middle of a pandemic. So people couldn't go to tasting rooms. They couldn't go to restaurants. This was a way to help them survive. Now we're going to see how it's helpful to the industry with things opening up and how that consumer demand continues. Now, on another positive note, The Brewers Association, even though they were not able to do a lot of their events over the past year, those events are coming back, correct? Yes, those events are hopefully going to be coming back. As of right now, CBC Mm -hmm. is scheduled for early September. It is in the Denver Convention Center, which is where the Great American Beer Fest is held every year. Right now, it is reduced capacity, though that could change as things progress. So we're paying attention to it, but we are set to have, I think, a really good program. People are excited to you know, get back to attending those types of events, learning more and probably sharing a lot of what they've learned in the past 16 months. No, I'd be intrigued, you know, kind of hearing those stories when you're in that environment. You know, you've got brewers from all over the country and all over the world coming in. And it's great to kind of hear all the different exchange of of ideas and best practices and things like that. I'm going to pivot us in a massive way. This is something that we just we can't not talk about. So a couple of weeks ago, and as many of you all know, there were some Instagram stories that started populating on Brianne Allen's Instagram page at Rat Magnet, and she's with Notch Brewing Company in Salem, Massachusetts. 
And then this completely took off. Stories were being submitted to her Instagram page that were shared experiences from different people within the brewing industry and a little bit in kind of like the brewery restaurant industry of mistreatment of people, specifically women, how they're treated by patrons, how are they treated by management, and just kind of the struggle within that industry. And there has definitely been some fallout. There have been CEOs of some major prominent breweries that have stepped down. There's been some fallout in a lot of local breweries and brewing-focused restaurants. So, I mean, I will say from a personal experience, this was it's hard to read. A lot of them were hard to read because of how familiar they were. These are things that I've experienced in my many years in the restaurant industry and in the beer world. So it was familiar. And I was kind of bracing myself for, okay, so this is going to get a lot of press. It's going to go through the, all the press cycle. There's going to be some apologies made. There's going to be some heartfelt Instagram posts or not heartfelt a couple of people will step down and then it'll kind of cycle through and go away. And we're going to go back to the way things always are. I was bracing for that, but I'm watching now that this is really making an impact. There's some change happening. What have you seen with this fallout? Has there been, I'm assuming, members that have been affected? People have reached out for assistance. You know, what has been your experience with this? I can only speak to this really from my personal experience. I mean, yeah. I'm a woman. I work in the beer industry. I work mm -hmm. in politics. <laughs> I've worked in the restaurant industry. I've come from political campaigns and backgrounds. At first, I had a little bit of the skepticism that you mentioned. Will this continue? And I think it is, and I think that it needs to, not just this, I'm not going to pretend that the brewing industry is the only industry that deals with difficulty with sexism and racism. Mm -hmm. This is broad reaching across things, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't focus on it and that we shouldn't work to do better. I absolutely have internal reflections about things that I could have done better, ways that I could have learned and what I am trying to do and working on is, in my own way, you know, leading by example. I don't want other people to see me and think, how would Katie handle this situation? And that the way I would handle it would be to laugh it off or blow it off or not say mm -hmm. something. I would hope that the way I act encourages other people to stand up for themselves and feel empowered. But that's not something that you can necessarily do, that not everyone can necessarily do. And I can think back to times when I didn't. And I'm probably rambling on a little bit about this, but I think the one thing that I keep reminding myself is all of these things, all of this progress that we've liked to make is extremely important. But there's no magic one thing that we can do mm -hmm. to fix it. This is lifelong changes that have to happen. And we have to continue growing. We have to continue educating ourselves. And we have to continue being vocal to work to get to the place that we want to be. That's something that I'm committed to. I think a lot of people are committed to it. And it's been heartbreaking and upsetting mm -hmm. to see what's going on. But I think that if people are, are willing to work for it, it can help lead to progress. I had a similar experience to you in that I started to kind of think back on interactions that I had in the past. I started to replay scenarios where I came up in that kind of old school mentality. I've worked in a lot of establishments where 
you know, you've got the old school boys club and things like that. So you do what you can to fit in or at least go unnoticed or don't draw attention to yourself. You replay the interactions that you've had and you think to yourself, okay, when this server brought this issue to me or when this person spoke to me about this patron that did this, what did I do in that scenario? What did I say? What was my tone? Because you you want to make sure that you weren't part of the problem, even though you were in that environment. You know what I'm saying? And it definitely kind of consumes you a little bit. And it, it led to me, you know, reaching out to a lot of old servers and bartenders that I had hired over the years to just check in. Like, how are you doing? How are you feeling? What can I do? I think that self-examination of how am I letting my environment form who I am and how I react to things And how do I need that to be different? Or how do I need that to be just a little more self-aware, if if that makes sense? It definitely makes sense. And I remind myself that like a lot of times the only thing that you can really change in a lot of situations is the way you react and the way you behave. Mm -hmm. And I am committed to doing better on that front and working towards that. Yeah. And I think other people are too. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of work. I don't think anybody is pretending that it isn't, but it is worth it. Yes. I think this growth period will continue to be challenging. I just, I was completely taken aback that there are some real changes being made. I think my jaded ass was, you know, waiting for nothing to happen. And that is definitely not the case. Now, I know that years ago, I want to say like three or four years ago, The Brewers Association came out with the label requirements where offensive labels were taken into consideration. And if they were to win any kinds of awards or anything like that, they wouldn't be featured on the on the site or they wouldn't be called out specifically. And of course, two years ago or three years ago, the Brewers Association hired your diversity ambassador, Dr. Jay Nichols. So there's a lot of steps that the Brewers Association was definitely taking you know, before this happened, I think I think the Brewers Association was was being proactive. Are there other things kind of coming down the pike, you know, in light of, of what's happening now in this kind of really fast upheaval? Are there other things in the works? Are there other tools maybe developing for the members? I don't know if I would say tools, but resources. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. And I think a lot of it is coming from realizing where breweries are deficient and where they need help. Mm -hmm. So the HR side of things is definitely a big one. Education about these issues is also huge, the same as it is with diversity. So the Brewers Association, they had one recently, sexual harassment, Crowdcast webinar. They're going to have two more of those coming up. There is going to be focus on it at CBC. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I know we got some blowback for this, but providing resources to breweries to help them with the WeVow resource that they can use to learn more about these issues. I'm sorry, the what? So WeVow. Okay. It's a subscription site that you can, I think, get a discount of as a member of the Brewers Association Mm -hmm. that helps walk through, you know, walk through some of these scenarios and helps educate people more about sexual harassment and other issues that are going on. Okay. Those types of resources. Breweries run a range from being extremely small to extremely large, Mm -hmm. but not everyone is going to have those resources, but it is something that they need to focus on. And if there are ways that we can help provide those tools, I think the BA is working on doing it. Dr. J takes on a lot of work 
our diversity committee is taking on a lot of work. But as we said, it's important work. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't surprise me, but I'm really glad to hear that there are still resources building for the members. And I'm, I'm happy to hear that the Brewers Association is being so proactive about this. So that's really awesome. So, I, yeah, I know it was heavy, but we're going to like pivot again aggressively to something like light and stupid you know, just like on last week tonight, right? You like spend 20 minutes talking about, you know, the justice system in our country, which is completely fucked. And uh, then, you know, he shows you a bunch of hamster videos or something like that. So <laughs> I'm going to do a, a fun little like quick fire questioning for you on frivolous questions. Does that sound super fun? I have no idea. Hopefully. Yeah. Let's roll. Let's roll the dice on this. Okay. You ready? Okay. What beer got you through the pandemic? Atlas Brewworks Dance of Days. Yeah, I can get behind that in a big way. Is Atlas uh, still opening up a location kind of in Neighbor Yard? I know that was scheduled and then... Oh, yeah. And then, I don't know, what. where where are we on that now it's, that I'm... It's open. It's open. Um, I'm so... It's oh, open. I'm so bent pandemic behind. It was the first place I went after I had hit my two-week post-vaccination period, the ballpark. It's very nice. Lots of cool stuff down by the ballpark, right? Yeah. You got Blue Jacket down there. Solace is opening an outpost. Salt Line and All Purpose are just killing it with their beer. Mm -hmm. It's pretty great. I'm so embarrassed. I didn't know that was open. I'm such a, so behind at this point. You're not a city kid anymore. (laughs) Don't remind me. Those DC beer guys will keep me up to date. They'll keep me better up to date. I got to get back on their calendar. Okay, second question. What brewery is like number one on your list you can't wait to go back to anywhere, anywhere in the world? So I actually already went there. Mm. I was really excited to get back to Trogues. Yes. So I went to Trogues when I was back in Pennsylvania and it was fantastic. Second answer to that is literally every brewery ever. (laughs) Um, Any brewery where I can sit at a bar and have a beer. And you know what? Have some tasters. I'm going to do it. I'm going to have tasters. I don't care how upset it makes people. I want to try all your beers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's been it's been so long. Okay, and then you're going to answer this bias. But here we go. Uh, What beer event are you most excited to go to? Savor. Yeah. If Saver happens I was going to say, again, I was like, wait, is it happening? <laughs> look, I love Saver. And right before everything shut down, we were mm-hmm. in like planning mode for Saver and the hill climb. And it was so exciting. And yeah, I did all the I want, with Chef Adam. Yeah, all I want is Saver to come back to Washington, D.C. And that will be the beer event that I'm most excited for. And for listeners who maybe aren't as familiar, so Saver is a fantastic beer event with the Brewers Association and a lot of breweries from around the country that don't normally make their way to D.C. And you're pairing all the beer with little bites. And each brewery brings two beers. And there's usually like, what, like 80 breweries or some ridiculous Mm -hmm. number like that. So if you can imagine two bites per brewery, two beers per brewery, it's usually in the building museum. It's in this beautiful place. A bunch of beer nerds are all dressed up like we're fancy. It's fantastic. And it's one of my favorite events as well. So if that actually happens again, that would be wonderful. And there are episodes about Saver if you want to go back and shameless plug for other episode listenings. But no, that would be amazing if that if that was back up and running. That would be great. It would be awesome. <laughs> and I definitely do like that it's in Washington, D.C. and everybody comes here and we have such mm-hmm. a great time. But yeah, a little bias. 
You mentioned the hill climb, and that's when a lot of the brewers that are in town for Saver come in and speak to their legislator, whoever, you know, from their home state. Are you all working on that or are there events that are allowed to still happen on the hill? We do it all virtually. We had a virtual hill climb last year. We're having one in late June this year. And it means I set up a couple hundred meetings using Zoom, WebEx type platforms. And it's different, but it's still fun for people to get to interact with their elected officials. And it's a great way to make sure they're still hearing about the issues that matter to us. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Before we wrap up, what are some of the like kind of hot button issues that, that brewers are excited about? My two top ones are the restaurant revitalization fund Mm -hmm. and getting more money into that. The restaurant revitalization fund is a program that was created with about $28 billion, and it was for the SBA to provide restaurants, alcohol beverage producers like breweries, bars, food trucks, with the ability to essentially get funds to help them recover from the pandemic. So Mm -hmm. it's based off of revenue differences between 2019 and 2020. For some of our members who have gotten it already, it has, I believe one person said, it erased COVID for them. So their outstanding loans, the money that they owed, like this is helping them get a fresh start in 2021 as things are starting to reopen. So it's a huge deal. But there were a lot of people who applied for these funds. I think when it closed back in May, 372,000 businesses had applied for funds. And there's not enough money in the program right now. So Mm -hmm. we're really pushing Congress hard to add more funding. And we hope that new legislation will be introduced soon. But Mm -hmm. it's just very important for every business, you know, whether they are a brewery or another hospitality business, they've got such high overhead costs. This could really be a huge game changer for them. So we want to make sure that if you applied for the money and you're qualified for it, that you're able to get it. And then what's the other hot button issue? My other issue, and this is one that we were talking about a little earlier with the change in consumer demand, but the United States Postal Service Shipping Equity Act. So this is legislation. A lot of people don't know this. The Postal Service is not allowed to ship alcohol. Now, Mm -hmm. not every state can ship alcohol right now. There are actually only 13 states in D.C. that you can ship beer. Wine is way ahead of us, but we're working our way towards them, I believe, with 46 states in D.C. Distilled spirits are about seven states, but it can only be shipped through private carriers. And, you know, FedEx, UPS, they do a great job, but we'd really love to add a third option in there. Mm -hmm. So this legislation would allow the Postal Service to ship alcohol in states where it's legal for private carriers to do it. So they just have the exact same rights on that front. And, you know, it's very popular with consumers, Mm -hmm. but it's something that we are hearing more and more about. I know in a recent survey that Sovo Ship Compliant did, it's like more than 80% of people wanted the ability to get their beer shipped to them. Yeah. So, you know, state laws, that all happens at the state But this is one where we do think that it it would be great, especially for more rural areas that might not have as much access to those private carriers. Ah, okay. Yeah. So you're not allowed to ship booze through the U.S. Postal Service. Like if your friend, like hypothetically speaking, if your friend in Texas was like, oh, I desperately need Port City wit. And then you shipped it at the 
U.S. post office, like that's technically not allowed. Hypothetically, hypothetically. Hypothetically, it's not allowed at the post office. It's also hypothetically not allowed at UPS or Mm. FedEx. Mm. Consumers are not allowed to ship alcohol. You have to have a license to be able to do that. Mm. Just so you all know, (laughs) you're out there breaking the law. Public service (laughs) announcement. Well, Katie, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate your time. I know you're really busy and you're out there doing the Lord's work. So thank you. I love what I do. I'm glad that people are making it through Mm -hmm. the pandemic. And I really look forward to hopefully having a drink with people soon. But yeah, thank you, Sarah. Of course. Well, Thank you all for listening to another episode of Beer Me Radio. Please check us out anywhere you listen to your podcast. Subscribe, follow, give us all the stars. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, concern, reach out to us on Instagram at Beer Me Radio or via email, beermeradio at gmail.com. Cheers. Cheers.